Holy smokes, I haven't clicked uh, play on this year podcast in quite a while. Um, I think it's going on maybe two years. What's up, Chief and listeners, if you're still around? Uh, I don't know why I... I've been, I don't know why I haven't podcasted in two years, other than the fact that uh, I've been digesting a lot of stuff. Um, actually, I know exactly why I haven't podcasted in two years. Um, I've been defragmenting a quarter century worth of evangelicalism, which has painfully culminated over the last couple of years um, for my brother-in-law, who was... Uh, pretty heavily involved with Mark Driscoll and that whole drama scene. So I may have mentioned that prior on on a previous episode. I can't remember. Um, But he and my sister have been processing a lot of stuff that has happened through that. And the rise and fall of Mars Hill on Christianity Today um, has been part of that process. Um, I listened to, I don't know, I listened to maybe seven or eight episodes and then I just got kind of got tired of it. Um, and I might have mentioned on the last podcast, I can't remember if this was a podcast discussion or if this was just talking with with friends and family. Um, just got a little exhausted of the the other side of the coin, you know, where Mike Cosper and Christianity Today is building a brand based upon you know, their unique pitch of whatever they're going to do for quote unquote, the good of the church, which most of the time goes off the rails <laughs> because ego gets involved. So today I'm going to count them up. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. Holy smokes. I thought I only had seven. The 11 IPs of church planning, probably way too many IPs, um, and it reminds me of a gentleman, uh, Mr. IP Freely, uh, who used to call Moe's Bar on The Simpsons. Um, you can't tell IP Freely jokes. That's not cool. Uh, which reminds me of, of another um, statement that I have is that I, I don't... I don't often tell dad jokes, but when I do, he laughs. So I got the coffee, the jumbo extra, like 30 ounce mug. And we're just going to settle in here and we're going to plow through the 11 IPs of church planning. And if that's too many for you, well, then don't listen. Turn it off, go somewhere else. Go back to uh, um, podcasts that are have explicitly stated that they're designed for the good of the people until we screw you. <laughs> so these aren't universal truths. I'm not. I'm not uh, stating these as the eleven IP doctrines or official statements of faith. These are observations that I have categorized uh, over the last twenty five years of being in and around church plants, both personally uh, and through proxy, which I guess is another P. I don't know if the I would be on the front of that. Um, But through proxy, friends, family, 
college roommates, um, close acquaintances. Um, so these are just 11 observations collected over a quarter century that I have organized into some semblance of, of sequence, meaning they, you know, they start and then depending on which ones, what you choose, it leads to other sets of IPs. Um, and then, you know, worst case scenario kind of shoots you out the end into these Driscoll type blowups or these Tulian Tavichkin type blowups or these Bob Coy type blowups or James McDonald type blowups or Rabbi Zacharias type blowups or Arturo Azurdia type blowups or Joshua Harris type blowups or CJ Mahaney type blowups or Holy Trinity in Tampa type blowups or I mean the list obviously um, there's I'm drawing from more than one the sample size is larger than one um, and I even left out some other churches because I don't have explicit permission to mention uh, from family members and I don't want to embarrass them in this uh, in this uh, here podcast so um, the 11 IPs of church planning so buckle in. I don't know how long this is going to take. Uh, my thoughts are pretty straightforward and clear in my head. Hopefully they make a, a, you know partial sense in, in your head. Because after all, and I even though I've sarcastically mocked the good of the church in the opening monologue here, um, I really do hope that these 11 IPs and going through them will assist individual people um, who are in the church and maybe are either, you know, in the church at, at various levels, leaders all the way down to lay people. <laughs> I want to know if lay people is actually in the Bible because that's a, that's a weird phrase to use. And I'll leave it at that. I'm a lay leader. Um, what? What? Should I call Dateline NBC? Sounds a little uh, molesty-y. Um, all right, here we go. So in my observations, again, in my observations, not doctrinal statements, I'm not making a claim of creating some new eschatolog eschatological doctrine, ecclesiology, whatever. Um, the first IP, most church plants... Um, they start with a desire to reach individual persons. And that's the first IP, individual persons. That's where most things that I have seen start. It's like, hey, we want to reach, insert individual people. We want to reach these people in a particular zip code or a particular socioeconomic demographic or um, a particular stage of life. Um, maybe we want to reach people who are single parents or we want to reach people who've been through a divorce or we want to reach people who are graduate students or homeless or insert whatever. And that's typically where most ministry efforts start. It's with the idea of reaching individual people. And that's absolutely 100% fine because Jesus said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The analogy throughout scripture of being a shepherd and caring for the sheep and the sheep being the 
metaphor for individual people um, makes a lot of sense. Uh, New Testament says, Jesus says, by this, the world will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. So this idea of individual people and trying to positively impact individual people with the love of God through the preaching of the gospel for the salvation of sinners um, and the sanctification of the saints and all those things uh, is right and admirable and scripturally solid um, because that is the core of the scripture is God's redemptive history in play throughout the generations of mankind for him to reach down and save and regenerate individual persons. So that that's that's the first one, and that's normally where it starts. Totally fine. No problems with that at all. What I have seen is when people embark on that journey of trying to do that corporately. Like instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to be an individual piece of salt or an individual ray of light and whatever sphere I'm in, I'm going to work to reach individual people in my the sphere that God has put me in, whether that's sales or motherhood or stay-at-home dad or tennis coach or software engineer or government employee or truck driver, Lyft driver, Uber driver, or chef, whatever they are. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to do this with, um, don't go to sleep, computer. Come on. Um, I might have to just keep playing with the mouse. Uh, Instead of just saying, I'm going to be an individual grain of salt or an individual ray of light in order to do that, some people get or audacious enough to say, I'm going to raise up an army, <laughs> probably probably uh, one of the first problems, and I'm going to recruit a bunch of people to get on my side and to create this thing to go then reach people collectively. It's kind of how this whole church planning thing starts. And when that happens, what I have seen gets created almost immediately is a need arises for immediate provision. This is the second IP. So you set out collectively, corporately, as a an official organization to reach individual persons, and it instantly creates a need for immediate provision because the guy quit his job. You can't. Who, who can be a bivocational pastor? You got to go all in, lean in, go all in, twenty four seven, burn the ships, and so the pastor needs a salary. The pastor needs a launch family. Um, so a lot of research is done by looking at the most affluent zip codes and you know birth rates and you know which areas of the United States has the the highest likelihood of being able to meet our budget goal in 5 years um and building expenses and costs come onto the table and audiovisual equipment and musical instruments and the need for a space for nursery 
and nursery workers and assistant staff and support staff and all this stuff. So the second you move from wanting to reach individual persons and you have the audacity to say, I'm going to raise up an army and we're going to do this together, you create the need for immediate provision. Again, this is not necessarily wrong because the Bible's chock full of examples of God's people being in need of immediate provision. The children of Israel, they're standing at the edge of the sea, pinned in with Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea in front of them. They're in need of immediate provision. When Christ's disciples are out on the out in their boat and the storm arises and they're we're gonna die they're in need of immediate provision example after example after example in the new testament of individuals coming to christ being in need of immediate provision my daughter died i'm paralyzed the woman who had a was had some sort of flow coming out of her her entire life and she touches jesus all these people are in need of immediate provision when the fish and the loaves are are multiplied to feed 5000 people people were in, had a need of immediate provision over and over and over and over again in the scripture you see individual persons having an, a need for immediate provision and god miraculously providing that need so there, again there's nothing wrong with both of these things there's nothing wrong with wanting to reach individual persons, and there's nothing wrong with being a human and having a need for immediate provision. It's part of the human experience. And right now, I have an immediate need um, for some coffee. And a deep breath. My podcasting lungs are a little out of practice. <laughs> time, time out, coach. I need a sub. A little winded over here. I'm not used to flapping my gums into the wind into the uh what is this thing the mist protector gross i should probably sanitize that thing things received a lot of mist over the years <laughs> this podcast is so gross you're sort of starting to get to me with this spiritual stuff and now i'm just visualizing saliva mist you're disgusting and this is probably one of the most nuanced, subtle, tricky stages in this whole church planting process. Um, because it takes some audacity to say you're going to raise up an army to do this. And a lot of this stemmed from me going back over the last couple of years and sort of tiptoeing back into some of the some of the messages and some of the organizations and some of the worship music that was influential in my life in the mid to late 90s. And I had to do it in very very small chunks because it was almost like re-experiencing a trauma. Oh, you don't know what a trauma is. Just follow me for a second. Why do you always try to head me off at the pass before I even can get to the meat of the point? You just want to criticize before I can even tease out the nuanced position so there's a song by delirious that was hugely popular in 90s evangelicalism with teenagers and, and gen xers and it was that song where martin smith is blaring at the top of his lungs that he's going to be a history maker but he's not saying he's going to be a history maker he's singing i am going to be a history maker 
and he would whip up into a spiritual frenzy thousands upon thousands of people in these stadiums and churches across the land to belt out at the top of their lungs that I'm going to be a history maker. And so there was this kind of precedent that took hold in people's minds during that era that the goal of being a Christ follower was that you would ultimately be some sort of historical figure as the years passed by. Well, clearly that didn't happen. And that coincided with me making a list of people who were close friends, who were ministry partners, and I just started writing down names. And with the few exceptions of of three or four guys that have somehow seared their consciences enough to remain in full-time ministry, (laughs) you're so jaded. They're doing it out of the, the goodness of their heart. You guys are the ones that are backslidden. Um, with the exception of like three or four guys that have somehow remained in, in professional full-time ministry, name after 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 name, like 26 individuals I wrote down in 10 minutes who stood side by side, arm in arm, belting out at the top of their lungs that they were going to be history makers alongside of me and hundreds of other people. Not only, it's not like they just, oh, well, they didn't, they didn't have what it takes. And instead of being famous Christians, they're just lay people. (laughs) They, they, they were not the mouthpiece of the body. They, they're the foot, they're the big toe, the hairy big toe with a little bit of toe jam and, and some, gooey fuzz in between that's that's what they are and they just need to be okay with that because god is sovereign um no it's not like they didn't attain to being a famous christian and they're just some sort of like quote-unquote mediocre middle of the road christian no these people actively hate the church which i infer means that they have some pretty strong feelings against the whole concept of god and christ and the Holy Spirit. So when I say that this, when I say that it takes some audacity, when I say that it's dangerous to to take this audacious step to say, I'm going to raise up an army and I'm going to be a history maker, uh, it's not, it's not a, rhetorical overstatement. It's not some hyperbolic fear-mongering. It's something that I have observed has left in its wake a lot of spiritual casualties. And if you have listened to the Mars Hill Christianity Today podcast, you know, bodies under the bus. It's that whole concept. And I have seen a lot of bodies under not necessarily Driscoll's bus, but just the evangelical machines bus of the last 25 years. So this need for immediate provision arises, and here's where it gets tricky. 
Because I think the scripture would demonstrate that the the correct IP, there's two IPs here, and this is where this whole thing hinges. I think the correct IP in this, when you're faced with immediate precision, provision, the correct IP to pick is incessant prayer. Paul says, pray without ceasing. What do Paul and Peter do when they're in prison? They're praying and singing. What does Moses do when he's in a bind? He, he goes and he meets with God over and over again. Sometimes he does it in humble, quiet, appropriate ways. Sometimes he does it in angry, frustrated, hitting the rock ways, which ban him from the promised land. Um, Christ frequently retreating to pray. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. you. You look at prophets who were in dire straits, needed immediate provision, they frequently retreat to communing with the Lord, trusting the Lord with all of your heart, leaning not on your own understanding in all of your ways, acknowledging him and he'll make your path straight. That's the correct IP to pick at this point when you're faced with immediate a need for immediate provision. The correct IP to pick is incessant prayer. End of story. Done. Oh, that's just not, that, that doesn't make enough sense. I was reading a Spurgeon sermon on um, this verse out of Exodus where it says, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. Stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. I think the church would be better off if its leaders at whatever stage of the army raising up process they're in would stand still more often. That they would stand still and seek the salvation. Or not even seek. It just says stand still and see. It's a very passive statement. The only action required in that verse in Exodus 14 is to be still doesn't say run about frantically. It doesn't say come up with an action plan. It doesn't say delegate. It doesn't say learn how to be a better leader. It says stand still and see. And obviously in that instant instance, what could the people have done? They couldn't have, they couldn't have parted the waters. What are they going to do? I'll get together and blow saliva mist all over the water. <laughs> like some three-year-old trying to blow out a birthday candle. I mean, seriously. What are they going to do in that? They're in dire straits. They have an immediate provision that is outside the realm of their capabilities to meet. And the command is to stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. My contention, and this is probably a doctrinal point. This is, this is probably the one that I'm going to be the most adamant about as being backed by Scripture. What? Only one of the 11 are backed by Scripture? This is heresy. <laughs> Tune in to the Christian podcast where one eleventh of the points are backed by scripture. <laughs> oh, oh, my sides. 
Man, my laughing muscles are, are out of shape too. I'm cramping. Come on, Muth. Get on that podcasting training regimen. Deep breaths. Breads. What are you, some sort of Joe Pesci wannabe? The ute, utes and the breads. Are you subtly mocking particular ethnic groups? No, I'm just making a Joe Pesci comment. Leave me alone. Um, funny side note, and then we'll return to previously scheduling scheduled programming. But um, Netflix has you're still subscribed to Netflix, heathen. There's a thing called the movies that made us, and they do these behind the scenes things on all these famous blockbusters. And on the Home Alone one, they approach Joe Pesci to be the you know bumbling home burglar cat burglar and alongside daniel stern and he said he told the the casting directors and the producers hey i don't think i can do a family-friendly movie because i'm so accustomed to cursing like every third or fourth word is an f-bomb in every role i've had when i play a mafia guy he's like i don't think i can do this let me think about it. So he goes back and he thinks, and he decided, okay, I can do this if I create my own language. And so all of those scenes where he's, you know, he steps on the, you know, gets his hair burnt off or slips on the thing or, you know, gets hurt by Macaulay Culkin's antics and shenanigans, um, that's his own made up language, where he's grumbling and you obviously, it conveys that he's cursing, but he's doing it in a way that didn't make the movie R-rated. Interesting side note. Now back to regularly scheduled programming. Maybe Driscoll should have taken a, a cue out of that and created his own pastor Christian language so that um, he didn't have all these ominous audio clips floating around. <laughs> Which is why sometimes I use the Greek word skouvbalon at times. Um, but only theology greek nerds will probably get that one anyway so this is one i'm gonna probably be the most adamant about that at this point in the church planning process of being in need of immediate provision your one surefire correct guaranteed to not go off the rails and shipwreck yours and potentially dozens and hundreds and potentially thousands or millions of people's lives later on down the road is you need to decide the, to take the, the last IP of incessant prayer and you stop there and you stand still and you wait to see the salvation of the Lord, end of story. And however that plays out, that's the Lord's will. Oh my gosh, that's so passive. I don't think I can trust God that much. I'm, I'm just a pastor. You expect me to trust God? Oof. Ugh. Gives me the willies. And, and, and I say that sort of jokingly, but I think that that, in my observation, is what is, is, it, it captures the sentiment of all of these audacious, wannabe, history-making individuals at, that, at this particular stage of the game. And so that we're not too hard on them, think about some instance or instances in your life where you've been faced with the need of immediate provision and the word, the holy writ of God, comes to you and implores you to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Right? Think about that instance before you get too high and mighty and judging wannabe history makers who 
turn their nose up at incessant prayer and trusting the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, right? Like, we don't like that. It's why Proverbs says it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. We don't like it. So it's no wonder that anyone else would like it. And especially in America, we detest it. Because America is all about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's all about finding the grit to persevere. It's all about overcoming obstacles. And it's all about then all of the glory that's rained on your head from that point forward once you've conquered. And if you didn't have the chops, you didn't have what it takes to make your way through, then oh well, you weren't destined by the powers that be to to be a history maker. You're not a historical figure. You're not a Lewis and Clark. You're some unknown explorer that perished in a creek in Suwanneeville, Georgia, and nobody knew about you ever, other than maybe like, your ma, who you told, hey, ma, I'm going to go out west and look for gold. I'll come back a bazillionaire. And you became bear food and worm fodder in some creek in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And that was it. Or you're some dude that's like, I'm going to take my family out west. We're going to hop on that Oregon Trail. I'm going to go make a fortune in the fur trade out in Portland. And you and little Johnny and your lovely bride of 14 years old, and, oh my gosh, you're so inappropriate. No, I'm just, that's, that's the way it was back then. Your life expectancy was like 35 years old. If you didn't procreate by the time you were a mid-teen, you're a, you're a washed-up old person. Oh my gosh, he's so old. He's 32. He looks like he's on death's doorstep. Yeah, your whole family gets cholera along the way. Maybe you take a couple arrows from mad indigenous Indian tribes stop invading our land um, and you're dead nobody knows nobody cares just some skeleton that eventually turned into dust outside of St. Louis, Missouri on the Oregon Trail why, why am I even going down there? oh, because that's what America is America, we glorify those who have the, the audacious chops and the perseverance and the stick to and the screw you, I'm going to get what I want mentality that this whole concept of stopping at the path of, an, of immediate provision and turning towards incessant prayer to see the salvation of the Lord, it doesn't sit well with any of us. So I can't come down too hard on pastors in this case because it doesn't sit well with me. And it doesn't sit well with you, if we're honest. So, considering that the pressures to succeed, once you announce, hey, I'm going to be a famous pastor and a history maker, like, you instantly give your... I mean, it's like it's like being a professional athlete and, and guaranteeing a victory. Or coming out of college and saying that I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, what? what? Why are you setting so much pressure on yourself? But that's what these young men are trained to do. They come out. And they make it known widely that IP widely <laughs> that they're gonna be some sort of notorious big oh I like putting rap references in here, uh big superstar in the evangelical church world. And so here's where things start to go off the rails. Instead of choosing incessant prayer 
and waiting to see the salvation of God in whatever form it would take. We take things into our own hands and we say, oof, in order to meet this need of whatever the particular immediate provisional need is, there are presented to me a slew of additional IPs, which in my own understanding make a heck of a lot more sense in accomplishing the goal of meeting the whatever the immediate provisional need is. So we're going to go through these IPs, which are chosen. Again, this isn't necessarily, I'm not extrapolating this from scripture. Again, this is a quarter century worth of observation. And the first IP that is chosen in place of incessant prayer, and this is, I think, incredibly important, is the IP, the, the budding pastor, the budding ministry person, They look at the two choices, incessant prayer, ill. I don't know what I don't know what the outcome of that is. And they look over to the other side, and there's this IP of image and power. <gasps> they go, ooh, I like that one. If I can attain some certain level of image and some certain level of power, this need for immediate provision will be filled. And this is where the justification wheels start spinning up really, really quickly. And I'm not talking about justification, the doctrine of justification, Christ's righteousness being imputed to us on a substitutionary atonement type level. I'm not talking about that sort of justification. I'm talking about the sort of justification where you say, you know what? I had a hard workout today, so I can get the Dave's triple and the loaded Baconator fries and the 24-ounce chocolate Frosty. I deserve it. I, I burned the calories. I need to replenish. I mean, I, I don't want to burn off my hard-earned muscle mass. And you can tell where my struggle is. <laughs> and then you get home and you're like, oh, man. Still feeling a little bit hungry. That kettle corn in the in the pantry there sure would be tasty at 1045 at night. And you the justification wheels start spinning. That's the justification I'm talking about here. So you look at incessant prayer, it's too unknown what happens there. So you go for something that you can understand. You violate Proverbs 3, verses 3 through 5. Lean not on your own understanding. You go, I don't like that. So I'm going to choose to lean on my own understanding. And the first understanding that I have is that image and power will meet this need of immediate provision. And this is where things get dicey. Super dicey. Because the justification required to turn away from incessant prayer and leaning, leaning on the Lord to turning to image and power in your own understanding, something snaps in your brain, which begins to compromise the first goal of reaching individual persons. Because now the focus is no longer on individual persons. The focus is on the pain of 
whatever the immediate provisional need is. And so once you make this decision, every subsequent decision down this path, choosing image and power over incessant prayer to, to meet the need, it's like the WD-40 for increasingly shady, bad decisions. And, that, and that's what this is. This kind of like is fuel to the fire. It's the catalyst, which kind of sets this thing off the rails. And you go, why? Well, and maybe this, maybe it's not just one out of 11 or anchored in scripture. <laughs> if you look at the temptation of Christ, what's the first thing? What's the first thing that the devil tempted Christ with? It was image and power. Bow down to me. I'll give you all of this kingdom. Fast forward to 1 John. What's the love of the world consist of? Pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And I can't overstate how diabolically deceptive this is. Because you're the 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 Christian side of you is wanting to think the best and justify, oh, well, this will meet the need. This will meet this provisional need, which will help us reach individual persons. So, and then you look to other people and you go, oh, well, Pastor XYZ, he's got 300,000 followers on Instagram and he seems to be doing okay. And, oh, this guy has 55,000 followers. And, oh, and this guy spoke at this conference and this guy, eh. and you begin to delude yourself into putting a rubber stamp of approval on something that is clearly worldly and in the case of Christ's temptation, devilish, which you could then, I think, pretty accurately state as being demonic. And I don't think that we in the church, and especially those who are trying to be audacious history makers, we don't realize the danger at this particular step. We give way to the hype and the excitement, and we just brush over the fact that we're, we're literally accepting the devil's temptation of Christ <laughs> in order to move forward on this journey. Like... And I'm not trying to be alarmist here, but I really think that's the hidden spiritual forces in play here. We don't realize that that's what we're doing. We don't realize that we have quite literally, when we choose image and power, we choose to lean on our own understanding. We don't realize that we have accepted Satan's offer when he tempted Christ. Oh my goodness, this podcast is kind of depressing. Well, maybe that's why I haven't podcasted in two years. Maybe I just can't take it. I don't know. But but I'm I'm uh No, it's just what it is. My strength is ideation. What? You're relying on personality tests to guide you in life. Uh you're relying on someone else's understanding. All right, we'll leave it at that. So once the image and power is, uh, and, and I'll say this, it's never been easier. 
it's never been easier. Like in the 1950s, to rely on image and power, it was really hard. Like you, you had to, the only way to really do that was to either rely on radio, which limited, limited airwaves, limited voices, limited, you know, um, whatever, or you had to rely on some big revival thing, which was difficult to do. So most pastors, hey, they, they just stayed in their lane. Okay. You know, I got a church of 55 people wherever, and I'm going to be faithful in that. And I'm going to visit them in the hospital and rejoice with them at weddings and at births and mourn with them in deaths and injuries and unemployments. And, you know, so the pastor was really around being a shepherd. And I think that the Mars Hill podcast uh, on Christianity Today kind of does a good job in one of the first couple episodes looking at the rise of Robert Schuller and sort of this celebrity evangelical figure in the 1950s and going forward. Um so it was it was much the 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 barriers to entry 50 60 70 years ago was kind of difficult. And then you go back, you know, you go back 100 plus years, it was incredibly difficult. So yeah, of course you had a lot of country pastors, a lot of small unknown pastors that were just faithful in executing the office of being a pastor because that's really all they had in front of them. But now in this day and age, the barriers to entry to choosing image and power are non-existent. Anybody with a smartphone can create an Instagram account and a TikTok account and a, I guess Twitter still is relevant. I have no idea. And you can instantly start bumping your gums claiming how awesome and powerful you are. And you can instantly begin to work overtime on curating this image, which you hope is going to grease the wheels for you to attain and acquire more and more power. So... Technology has coincided at this particular point in history with the worst, darkest, deepest, man-glorifying, God-ignoring tendencies in the human heart to rise up a generation of wannabe history makers to really kind of malign what a pastor should be, in my opinion. Um, so image and power is chosen. You justify it and you move on to the next IP, which is, well, how am I going to get more inspirational, more more image and power? And in my observation, the very next step in this is that you have to craft an inspirational purpose. And, and you go, well, what does that mean? I thought we were, I thought we were meeting, I thought we were trying to reach individual persons. Yeah, but that's boring. Let's be honest, that's boring. In the era of Shark Tank and VC startup mania and Facebook and the social network and all these, you know, big audacious, outgoing type A personalities who, you know, pitch this project and sell people on it, that doesn't fly. I mean, imagine if, uh, Imagine if, if you went into the Shark Tank pitch and you were, they were like, what's your pitch? You didn't have a, a logo. You didn't have a prototype. You didn't have, you know, some display board behind you. You didn't have your 30-second elevator pitch. You were just like, um, yeah, I just like, I just want to, I just want to, you know, love people and be kind and, you know, be there for them through this experience called life. They'd be like, get out of here. Like, what? So... Once the decision to pursue or to lean on image and power is made, 
the next step that these young men do or old men, middle-aged men, whoever, is they have to craft an inspirational purpose. And this inspirational purpose always gets one step further away from the initial desire on the front end, which was to reach individual persons. And so this, this purpose has to be crafted uniquely. It's got to be a USP, a unique selling point. You can't just be the church down the street. Well, that's boring. There's already one of those. We can't just be the church that, you know, meets together and sings some hymns and preaches through the Bible and goes on its day. Well, that's boring. No, we got to we got to up the ante on that mediocre pitch of a church. And so over the years, over the last 25 years, the pitch gets increasingly unique, increasingly braggadocious, increasingly um, over the top. And again, technology is greasing the wheels for this to just get more and more exuberant and more and more uh, superficial. Oh man, these IPs. Once you make this, once you once you turn away from incessant prayer and you go down this other path, like every IP that you choose in this process your justification continues to steamroll and the view of individual persons gets more and more cloudy. It gets farther away in the distance. It's in the rear view and you, you, you see it less and less and less. So in order to have this, the stamp, in order to begin to validate this image and power and this inspirational purpose, the next step is to then seek out influential people. You go, well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, all you have to do is look at the look at the accounts of these big famous pastors and what are they doing? They're seeking selfies with Kevin Durant from the NBA. They're seeking selfies with Justin Bieber. They're seeking selfies with Kanye West. They're seeking selfies with other big time megachurch players, Louis Giglio and I, who else is in there? I don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch of people. It's There's a pecking order. I've talked about the pecking order before. And you're always trying to punch up just one level. And then once you get on par with that guy, then your goal is to bury that dude below you so that you can keep pecking up and climbing this hierarchy. <laughs> so uh, Pastor XYZ, who has 10,000 followers, might be up a level from you when you first start your church. Once you get to 12,000 followers, then this guy is no longer needed and he's now below you. He no longer has the, uh, the brand um, power or the, the influential following, following to continue to pad your own image and power. Um, and this pursuit of in, influential people is, it, it begins to permeate the entire organization. It's not just the individual pastor, the individual history maker who is, set out to seek influential people. Mark Driscoll going on CNN, Larry King. Um, it's not just the seeking out of influential people at the pastoral level. It begins to permeate the entire organization. And so your board of directors and your elders, they all begin to become quite homogenous in the social strata that they're in. It's never the sanitation worker who's an elder. It's never, uh, you know, the volunteer, whoever, baseball coach at some place who's the elder. No, it's the lawyer. It's the doctor. It's the city councilman. It's the, the guy who's on the board of directors of some big company, you know. So this, this idea of influential people begins to 
permeate the entire organization, which again takes you one step further away from the original goal and original desire, which was to reach individual persons. Why do you keep saying persons? It's individual people. I don't know. I like saying persons. Because people is just, people carries too much, um, oh, you got to reach this people group. No, I mean, yeah, sort of, but yeah, it's individuals. It's individual persons. It's not people groups. So that, that's, a, that's a dicey subject. And again, 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 you look at the scripture and who did God spend most of his time pouring his wrath out on? <laughs> it was influential people. Holy smokes, can we not see these clearly biblical connections? Who did he pour his wrath out on in the days of Moses? Pharaoh, the most influential person in the world. Who died in the New Testament? King Herod. He got sick and his intestines spilled out. I mean, God spent a lot of time throughout the scripture judging influential people. He sent Nebuchadnezzar to eat with the beasts of the field until his pride was no more, according to the cross movement, um, which I think accurately paraphrases the Holy Writ. Um, yeah, we... We, I don't think we understand this. Like God doesn't work through influential people. Most of the time, influential people are objects of his wrath. And yet, when we pick image and power to meet the need of immediate provision instead of incessant prayer, we venture off down this road which catapults us eventually into pursuing influential people to meet the immediate provisional need. Not recognizing that in choosing image and power, we've taken the devil's offer in the temptation of Christ, which has then led us to embrace influential people who, as I just stated multiple times throughout scripture, those are the people that God pours his wrath out on. But, 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 no. God doesn't work miraculously miraculously through influential people throughout the scripture. He works through anonymous nobodies. And a couple of those anonymous nobodies have become Christianly famous. David, Joseph, prophets. But we don't know the names of people who he healed. It doesn't, it doesn't assign names. The dude that is, hey, your sins are forgiven and also take up your stretcher and walk. That that para, paralytic guy, he didn't get up and go create an Instagram account, you know, whatever his name would have been. Levi, the former paralytic. Um, no, he's just some, just some anonymous dude. We don't know. Even when Paul's writing his letters, every now and then he'll mention a person here and there. But the point is, is that the, and it's why the, the Christian hierarchy is turned on its head. The, the least of these will be the greatest. If you want, you'll be the greatest if you're the greatest servant. That's what Christ puts forth in the New Testament. From cover to cover, God is constantly judging and pouring his wrath out on people who are influential 
and he's working through anonymous nobodies. And it baffles me that the church of the last 25 years especially doesn't reflect that same value system. As I've said, the church reflects the hierarchical value system of the world. And that can't be good. So influential people are chosen. Um, and then at some level, and this is, I don't know if this is an either or, this isn't necessarily a sequential pursuit here, but there are people who probably the more, the less flashy ones, like the ones that want to still try to be a little bit more traditional in their, in their ministry approach and ministry perception, maybe instead of choosing influential people, they pursue intellectual prestige. And I think the more hipster kind of famous social media people, they're the ones who pursue the influential people. I think the ones who are, you know, not so much extroverted, they're more introverted. Instead of choosing influential people, at least publicly to like parade them around and promote them and be like, yo, this Grammy award winning superstar validates my ministry. I'm called, baby. Um, they go down the path of pursuing intellectual prestige. And so, you know, they pick out arcane, ridiculously obscure doctrines to argue over so that in their little circle of brainiacs and theology nerds, they can have this, this image and power of being, I'm smarter than you. I can parse this Greek word nine ways to Tuesday. Can you? You can't even open your Bible app and find this particular translation because it doesn't exist because that Bible app is apostate. <laughs> curse that Bible app. It doesn't have our preferred translation. Um, and I'm not kidding here. Like literally within the last two weeks, every now and then I check on my former college roommates who are both have gone down this intellectual, they've, they've gone down many of these paths, um, but they have fallen more into the intellectual prestige camp than they have the influential people camp, at least these two particular characters that I'm thinking of. And one of them actually got into an online debate via his Twitter feed about, they were arguing about the extent to which John Adams, founder of, one of the founders of the United States, signer of the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. They were arguing about the extent to which John Adams believed the Holy Spirit had inspired the writing of the Constitution. And I was like, wow, that's useful. That's really going to help a lot of people in today's world. 10% inflation, can't pay the bills, homes falling apart, husband cheated, kids are a mess, dad just died. And here you are as a pastor sitting around arguing the extent to which you believe, the extent to which John Adams believed that the Constitution was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Are you freaking joking me? And the other character hopped in to this argument and he said, very niche, 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 but this is the type of content that keeps me coming back to this website. And I thought, how useless can you be as a pastor? Like, could you get any more useless? 
Like, your pastor card should be revoked. No, we're defenders of truth. We're shepherds of truth. Could you be any more useless? I don't think you can. I'd I'd be hard-pressed. Send me an example. Questions? Podcast at chiefen.org. This is my TikTok challenge for you. See if you can find an example of pastors being more useless than arguing about the extent to which John Adams believed the Constitution was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. Like, I want to punch somebody right now. Maybe I should set up a punching dummy in this podcasting studio so I can just take out a little bit of this angst. Like, somebody deserves to be punched. If that happened in Christ's day, you would have been getting flogged and tables flipped over by Christ himself. Give me a break with your intellectual prestige nonsense. And of course, everybody in that thread arguing, of course, every single one of their headshots was this like extra tight buttoned up collar with the suit and the tie and the ham because that's their brand. That's their chosen path of image and power is intellectual prestige. And oh, we're so smart. And uh, we can argue about the founding documents being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just nauseating. Man, I hate this podcast. Why do I turn this stupid thing on? I knew I hadn't podcasted in tears for a reason. Ugh, Muth. Oh no, you just identified yourself. Now everybody's gonna know. This cup of coffee's almost gone and I'm not even... Oh man, I still got... Ugh. Still got three or four more IPs to go. And this cup of coffee is making me need to IP freely. Maybe I'll just let it fly today. In protest of intellectual prestige oh my goodness it makes me want to yak makes me want to yakety sacks just like vomit everywhere so you put all this together let's get back to this coherent 11 ips of church planning (laughs) you put all of this together and whether you've chosen influential people or intellectual prestige you couple those two with the inspirational purpose and it ultimately leads to illustrious pursuits oh man you're really stretching for straws here no i'm not this is this is observation this is like sitting down and listening to a graduate student talk about hey we did 25 years worth of research and here's our it is like a research paper this is what it is it's just a 25 year you know and not, I'm not even at like Harvard or Yale. I'm like at, you know, some online MBA program that I overpaid for that nobody's going to even, it's not even accredited, just some piece of crap MBA paper that, you know, you went to what university? I don't know. It had .edu in the, in the URL. Um, illustrious pursuits. And again, when you get to the illustrious pursuits, stage of this of this just off the rails journey individual people individual persons are even farther back they're even more obscured and so the illustrious pursuits kind of are the culmination of all of these desires for image and power and being associated with influential people and and having intellectual prestige and your your inspirational purpose which you've trademarked and you know, it's now your registered brand. Um, that's what you're known for. And so these pursuits become almost more 
ambitious. Honestly, 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 they're more ambitious than entrepreneurial pursuits that I've seen in my 25 years of church and business life. And you go, how's that possible? And I think it's possible because, and I may have, I may have touched on this previously, but these, these illustrious pursuits in church wrapping paper, they're more driven and more ambitious and more chock full of ego than even some entrepreneurial business pursuits because for the entrepreneurial business pursuit to succeed, you actually have to satisfy a need, meet a need, and keep customers happy. Like if you, if you, if it comes out that you're just a greedy SOB and you don't care about the service or the product, you know, and it's like, I'm just throwing, shooting from the hip now. You shoot from the hip all the time. This podcast makes no sense. Prepare a little bit. Um, I've been pre- preparing for two years for this episode. Cut me some slack. If you come out, let's just say that you're a business person and you're like, all I care about is profit and margin. And you're, you know, doing some food. You're a restaurant guy and you're just, and it's like, it's discovered that all of the chicken has rotten. And you're like, ah, screw it. Who cares? I just want the profit. And you just push this salmonella-laden rotten chicken on everybody and you just like extra deep fry it and smother it in barbecue sauce. And then on the tail end, people get sick and die and stuff. Like you're going to suffer. Like I was reading, we we found out last night that Wendy's just had an E. coli outbreak of like 33 people. And it reminded me of the Chipotle outbreak uh, in 2015 when they had E. coli at Chipotle up in the Pacific Northwest. And so I Googled it and I read about it. Chipotle's stock price plummeted like 25% over the course of that like October, November, December, 2015, because 33 people got infected with E. coli at their restaurants. So there was a there was a direct correlation between the value of their business and the their ability to deliver tasty, healthy, safe food. And when they were no longer able to deliver safe food, and let's be honest, 33 people out of millions of customers is an extremely small percentage. Yet that extremely small percentage cratered the value of their company by 25% over three months. So when you're in business, even though you might be audacious and you might say, oh man, I'm the CEO of Chipotle and I want to take over the fast food industry and I want to expand our stores by 500% over the next decade and I want to move into foreign countries and I want to yada, 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 yada. Okay, great. You want to become a business empire and restaurant mogul, go for it. But the second that your pitch is detrimental to your customer base, you suffer consequences. So it kind of tapers your ambition because you're aware of the fact that, hey, my ambition's not all it takes. Like I actually have to execute well and I actually have to take care of people well. So it kind of balances it out. You get into the church space with these illustrious pursuits. And for some reason, the way that evangelicalism has chosen to arrange itself over the last 25 years, it's a one-way vacuum. It's a one-way parasite. The more power and the more prestige and the more the, the greater the image of the leader gets, the more they can just run roughshod sucking up resources in 
pursuit of this illustrious pursuit because they have this weird spiritual stamp of authority on everything that they're doing. So people are more apt to fall in line. Oh, but there's, you know, there, what about that family who said that they were, you know, their daughter was molested by the youth pastor? Uh, they're, they're just apostate. They're, they're bitter. They're grumbling. They're not trusting their leaders. And so this spiritual stamp of authority is slapped onto all of these ambitious, illustrious pursuits. And there's not that direct correlation between bad performance damaging the organization until it gets to a pinnacle where it just, you've, you've damaged so many people that you just can't keep the charade up. And that's when I mentioned on the front end, the Mark Driscolls and the Ravi Zacharias's and the Arturo Azurdias and the James McDonald's and the Bob Coy's and the, you know, it's like, okay, in Bob Coy's case, there's only so many Vegas strippers you can bang, allegedly, before it catches up to you. Okay, In the case of C.J. Mahaney and Joshua Harris, there's only so many child molestation cases you can cover up under the guise of, oh, stop challenging your spiritual leaders before the whole thing blows up in your face. Mark Driscoll, there's only so many people you can throw under the bus and run over because before there's enough people that are like, you know what, I'm not going to get on this bus anymore. There's too much, there's too many blood and guts and human remains on the front of the grill and underneath the, the undercarriage of this bus for me to really trust this thing anymore. Although it appears that there's suckers born every minute because he's gone to Scottsdale and has a whole new crew of uh, potential future bus victims. But I digress. Um, so these illustrious pursuits are sort of... You, you, you can see, hopefully, how this online, no-name, overpriced university grad paper is progressing. You have chosen not to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And you've taken one foot off of that and you've put one foot onto leaning on your own understanding and four or five IPs down the road. You're not just kind of leaning on your own understanding. You're like full on all your weight. Everybody's on your own understanding. You're, you are putting the entirety of this church audacious plan and, and progress on your back and by golly you're going to carry it because you're going to be the heroic history maker so that's sort of the setup you get to the point where all this is culminated you've chosen image and power you've crafted your inspirational purpose you've sought out influential people you have maybe gone down the intellectual prestige path and you have made known that you are leaning into your illustrious pursuit. And at some point you're in this thing and it's humming on all cylinders, so to speak. You have bought the devil's bait hook, line, and sinker. You've justified away um, all spiritual nuance um, and, and said, well, this is okay because it's meeting, it's, it's the ends justify the means. And that need for immediate provision has been met. So this is all good. And it leads to, and this is sort of like for ministries that are kind of like haven't blown up yet. They've gotten past the incessant prayer and trusting the Lord. And now they're this self kind of perpetuating machine. Um, and they're humming on all cylinders, so to speak. And you're sort of on the tail end of this thing now. And what I have observed is it creates two more things 
and then we're gonna be done except one more IP. There's three more IPs. There's two things that this sort of humming on all cylinders thing creates and it's the first one is internal politics. So now this machine that you've created, a necessary evil that has attended it is internal politics. And so much of your time is spent managing those politics and people on staff, they just like any human based worldly hierarchy, they begin to position against each other. They begin to recruit people to their side. They begin to create factions and, you know, everybody gets in this self protective mode and they begin to implement internal politics to kind of carve out their own little unique hierarchies in this broader hierarchy. Um, and that's coupled with, and this is again what I've observed, that's coupled with where this thing ultimately culminates is that the end fruit of all of this, practically speaking, is that it creates isolating policies. And again, you're so far down this justification road that you're like, well, yeah, of course, of course, I, I have to isolate. I'm the big dog. I can't be seen with the common man. I don't have the time for the common man. I have 350,000 Instagram followers. I don't have time for the common man. What am I, what am I going to do? No, I've, I've got to continue to maintain my image and my power and blah, 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 blah. All these other IPs that have got me to where I am. And so isolating policies are created. And here's the sad, here, here's the tragedy of all of this. There's actually one more IP, which I think is even worse. And this is when, when the wheels come off and the thing blows up. Um, the tragedy of this is that once you've arrived at the isolating policies, you are at the complete opposite end. You're at, you're at the polar opposite of where you started. You started with the desire for individual persons. And you have gotten to the place when you decided to neglect incessant prayer and wait, stand still and see the salvation of God. And you decide to take it all into your own hands. That's this is this this argument, I, and I guarantee you the intellectually prestige ones among you um, will blow this argument. You're creating a straw man. This thing's too finely tuned. This reflects Spurgeon's critique of hyper Calvinism. It's a finely constructed stagecoach, but once it hits the bump in a road, it'll all crumble to the ground. Um, I, I can already hear all of you guys doing that, but I, you know, I'll just say, you know what? Just go back to arguing John Adams and the inspiration of the Constitution. Once you resolve that, then maybe you, we can have a conversation here. Um, but the tragedy to me is that the isolating policies, once you've arrived there, you're the you're the polar opposite. And if you can see my hands right now, I'm pushing out to the side. Both, both ways as far as my six foot seven arms will reach. You're the polar opposite of where you originally began, which was individual persons. Maybe David's life, maybe I should, maybe I should ponder David's life. Maybe David's life is the perfect analogy for modern evangelicalism. Starts as a no name, wants to just honor the Lord through being a shepherd. Before you know it, he's assassinating people and knocking boots with Ay, ay, ay. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe David is the, the case study for modern evangelicalism.
uh, so that's the tragedy. It's like you set out with these good intentions and, and at some point along the journey as all these IPs are, are chosen and justified away, you've isolated yourself. And instead of being a history maker, reaching in, reaching individual persons, you have become a monolith unto yourself, an island unto yourself where you're just isolated and trying to protect and maintain the empire that, that you have built. And this is, and, and in worst case scenarios, this is the final IP. It ultimately, and I, and I think that when you get to the isolated side, this is where, this is, this is where it just blows up and it kind of just, it, it's almost inevitable that it, it blows up into the final IP, which is infernal pleasures. <laughs> You're such a homeschool puritanical theology nerd. Why would you use the word infernal? I Googled it and the usage chart has gone from infinity to almost zero. Oh no, it's actually come back up. Probably because of Trump. That infernal beast of a human. Um, uh, you've lost a listener. You mentioned Trump. You don't even know which side. Of, you don't even know if I'm pro or anti-Trump. How you can use? I don't care. You you mentioned Trump. Trump haters will say that I was endorsing Trump. Trump lovers will say that I was critiquing him. You can't win. You can't win. The reason I use the word infernal, even though its usage has declined quite substantially since the 1800s, you can tell which books I read. Maybe if you updated your reading list, you wouldn't be. Um, wow, it was used tremendously. Like probably 10, 12, 15 fold in the 1800s as, as compared to 2000. And then it's slightly gone up between 2000 and 2020. According to Google's AI, um, infernal relating to or characteristic of hell or the underworld. Dun, dun, dun. What? How can you say that that's what pastors are doing? I'm not saying all pastors are doing that, but my observations, I mean, the examples I've already listed, banging Vegas hookers, Tulian Tavichkin having affairs with multiple women in his church, allegedly, Driscoll and his antics, Art Azurdia and his sexual infidelity, Ravi Zacharias and his abuse, both spiritually and sexually and relationally. I mean, it's hard to... I'll ask you this question. If someone... Let's take... We'll take a very specific example. Are the allegations against Ravi Zacharias... Would the two words, infernal pleasures, accurately describe those allegations? relating to your characteristic of hell or the underworld, the lower regions, very bad or unpleasant, extremely troublesome, annoying, or atrocious. Yeah, I'd have to say, uh, yeah. I mean, if you disagree with me, maybe we're talking about different words. Maybe we're not even speaking. Maybe we're not even using the same rules for defining words. When you look at the abuses that that Driscoll is 
alleged to have committed through spiritual abuse and bodies under the bus. When you look at Matt Chandler and the village covering up allegations of child pornography with one of their missionaries and and the silencing of that man's wife when she when she brought forth evidence that her husband was a reprobate I simply ask does the topic of child pornography warrant the two descriptive words infernal pleasures i'd have to say yes and that's where and that's where these things blow up and instead of it's almost like the bus kind of explodes at some point you know the bus is just plowing down the road running people over and then it just gets to a point where it's like yo and the whole thing just kind of explodes because it you've you've leaned so hard on your own understanding um and you have justified away so many things uh that at some point it just blows up and i do think at some level here i think that there is a case to be made that when these things blow up that it is equivalent to god's judgment and god's wrath on that particular uh pursuit going wildly awry what are you i mean i i think there's i think there's parallels which could be argued with pharaoh continuing to turn his back on the lord continuing to make justifications i mean think how he justified stuff he would turn to his magicians and they could do some of the similar things on the early stages um, you know, they could put chemical mixtures in water and make it appear like blood. And, you know, they could um, make, sta- they could have snakes appear. Um, even though, man, that was some cool special effects. Charlton Heston throws his staff down, becomes a snake. Pharaoh laughs. Yule Brenner, ha, 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 you simpleton. You Moabite. Well, I don't know what he was. He was somewhere out in the wilderness. I need to brush up on my Old Testament geography. Um <laughs> I love talking about deep theological issues while also um, being really rusty on some of the... (laughs) Uh, That's funny. I guess I'd argue that um, Noah's origin when he was in the desert maybe is not that high on the priority list, but maybe I'm wrong. It's probably right up there. You know what? It's probably... Moses's geography in the wilderness, I would argue, in my highly esteemed intellectual prestige, is just below the argument of how much John Adams believed the Constitution was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So once that argument is resolved and finally put to bed, then we can take a look at the importance of Moses's geography as it relates to where he was in the wilderness for 40 years. Um yeah, priorities, people, priorities, prioritizzle. Um, yeah, so that, that special effect where Charlton Heston throws his staff down, turns into a snake, Ewell Brenner laughs, mocks him, um, you simpleton, and then his magician priest guys throw their staffs down, and then Mo, Moses' snake just goes full-on anaconda and just sharknados him. It's pretty tight. Good special effects for whenever that was, 50s, late 50s, early 60s. 
early 60s, 1960. Heston was pretty young then. Maybe he wasn't. Oh, shoot. Now the curiosity got the cat. Ten Commandments movie. 1956. I knew it was the 50s. Man, that movie's long. ABC, before they were all like... When they were just like pretending to still care about Christian values, they used to play the Ten Commandments like every Sunday, like once a month, you could watch that thing. The epic, the Ten Commandments thing is long. It's long. Mm. I love how Edward G. Robinson is in that thing. Wasn't he like the snowman in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? I can play a biblical character and the 1950s version of Olaf. <laughs> okay, this thing's done. Um, so yeah, those are the 11 IPs of church planning that I, I think I counted those, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, 11. Those are the IPs of 11 IPs of church planning, which I have observed over the last 25 years. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I've observed. There's my... There's my Strayer University. You can't mock Strayer. I went there. Okay, well, that's my anonymous online university graduate degree research paper. Um, hopefully it gets a C, maybe a C plus. And uh, I've got another main idea that I've been ruminating on. And maybe I will click record at some point in the future and ramble about that one put put this one in your proverbial pipe and smoke it people and in your own individual life assuming that you're not a power player in modern evangelicalism currently i would encourage you to rewind get in marty mcfly's time machine turn on that flux capacitor go back to the point where you are presented with who i've got an immediate provisional need in front of me and i'm presented with incessant prayer or going down this image and power path. <gasps> Rewind that sucker and make sure you choose correctly. Um, because you don't want to end up in the path where you're only left with infernal pleasures. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys are well. I do enjoy this. Um, but we'll see. We'll see, uh, we'll see on the next episode, whenever that is. Peace and have a good day.